Blog Talk Radio. Thank you for tuning in to the Lawyer's Toolbox on ALR PRA Law Talk Radio. Today is Thursday, October 28, 2010, and I'm your host, Nick Augustine. This show is produced by ALR PRA Incorporated, a national law practice management agency headquartered downtown Chicago, Illinois, and serving greater Chicago, Los Angeles, New York, and Washington, D.C. We help manage our clients' business so they can spend more time practicing law. Today's guest is Bill Muller, a renowned broadcaster and journalist. Bill was a regular fill-in host for WGN and WLS in Chicago. Many know Bill as the host of WGN's Your Money with Bill Muller. Today, Bill is the president of Bill Muller Communications, and his boot camp program can help anyone who has the desire to break free from a lifetime of poor presentation and speaking habits. We do have a great show for you this afternoon, and we do invite our callers' questions either by email at info at alrpra.com, again, I-N-F-O at alrpra.com, and also by dialing into area code 917-889-9732 and pressing option 1 to be placed in the caller queue. Telephone number again is area code 917-889-9732 and option 1 to be placed in the queue. As a disclaimer, we want to remind you that this is a general information program and the advice shared on the show does not constitute legal advice. Results may vary based on specific facts and location. Communication with our attorney guests and among guests and callers on this show does not give rise to an attorney-client relationship. If you have further questions, you're always encouraged to consult with an attorney and or professional in your area. Finally, all callers do remain confidential and our rights to this broadcast are reserved by ALRPRA. Now, today we are going to be talking again with our guest, Bill Muller, and we'll be discussing some of the aspects of good communication. Um, And without further ado, I'll turn it over to Bill. Hi, Nick. Thank you very much. Boy, that disclaimer, I I hope... It doesn't invalidate some of the information that I'll be giving this afternoon. Uh, but uh, the basic point that I make to all clients, in fact, this week I'm conducting workshops for the reporters, over 50 of them at the Chicago Tribune, to help them be better communicators when they are interviewed by broadcast people, that is, radio and television hosts. It's interesting because reporters are storytellers. They're excellent communicators, but they are very limited usually because they can communicate just with their fingers. They're just not very skilled at speaking with their voice. They don't use the expressive qualities of the face. And I'm working with them on helping to improve. I'm also working uh, with students, graduate students at Northwestern University for the same thing, how to develop the kinds of presentation skills that can help you get a job. And once you get a job, how to get promoted, how to get a raise. In fact, these are the same kind of skills that help in so many departments of life down to whether or not the uh, girl or guy you're dating will say yes when you ask them uh, to marry them. So these are basically skills that can help you with business development and, as I said, in so many different aspects, basically in every kind of personal encounter, any kind of interaction you have with most anybody from the garbage guy picking up uh, the trash every week uh, to uh, a client. Bill, it sounds like a lot of great information for those, especially for those of our listeners out there who uh, do have law firms and are often hiring new associates, people coming out of school or people coming out of different uh, areas of work, maybe coming from the public sector. Let's take the example of someone who works at the public defender's office who is now going to go work uh, as a criminal defense attorney in the private sector. Obviously, you have different uh, different people in different areas with different skill sets and different communications uh, strategies. So what are some of your advice that you would give on an attorney who has a a young person who is uh, maybe in need of some grooming? 
Well, there's a lot that can be done. Let me just tell you, uh, Nick, about my core philosophy, and that is it is so much better rather than bolting on sort of mechanical processes to change how you interact, to change how your voice operates, and to look inside so that your attitudes first line up correctly, and then with the attitudes come the natural forms of expression. Here's what I mean by that. If you are somebody who is totally selfish, somebody who only wants to meet people that they're going to do business with, only meet people that owe them something, uh, only meet people who are going to be clients, uh, you're generally, unless you're a superstar in some way with an outstanding record and a, a pocket full of endorsements, you're probably not going to get a lot of business that way. So the attitude has to be first. And I mean specifically, you have to be the type of person that wants to serve, that genuinely wants to help people to find out what their needs are, to solve their problems. And what I say is, is to do this even if there is no direct or apparent benefit to you. Now, that may take a little longer in the business development side of things, but imagine this, that you're talking with somebody and uh, he is considering hiring you as an attorney, and you say, well, I have some experience in that practice area, but I'm not. it's not my core area. Let me ask you this. Uh, if you really want the best, let me turn you to uh, a colleague I have or somebody I've worked with, somebody else who I think would be better for you. Certainly, I could do the job, and I frankly think I could do a bang-up job in representing you, but I think somebody else would be better for you, and here are some names. Now, that person is going to remember that. Because it's so rare in the business world these days to find somebody who genuinely has interest, your interest at heart, more than self-interest, they are going to remember that. Not only are they possibly going to be clients of yours in the future, it would have to be obviously in an instance where they have specific needs for your specific skills, but if they have a favorable impression from your encounter, they are going to open up their Rolodex to you. What I mean by that is, essentially, when somebody they know has need for somebody in your practice area, they are very possibly going to say, well, this fellow I was talking to, now I've never done business with him, but I just have a good feeling about him. And then they will uh, direct you, direct their friend or associate to you. So, again, it is all about attitude. And if people perceive that you really are interested in them and not just making a, a buck or getting a new client – that is going to get to a level of trust much faster. And trust is the key, especially in the legal world. You've got to have trust with somebody who is going to be representing you. It can't just be the, the early stages of a relationship. It has to very quickly move to a level of trust. And that's a vaulted and rare virtue in the business transaction world because uh, there is the perception that most people you deal with out there have that uh, self-interest, that they aren't genuinely on your team despite all the rhetoric and marketing and, and lip service that's paid to that. So, again, Nick, the, the, the core point is that when you're talking to a young associate who doesn't seem to really have the kinds of skills is to just sort of break down their attitude about, well, why are you here? What, what, what excites you? What do you think about when you're working with a client? And get them to start thinking about this area of service doing good for others, trying to help people. And from there, and we'll talk about this later, come the kinds of speech patterns and expressive qualities and body language, all the subtle things of just the look in your eye that uh, can make you more attractive to potential clients. Prospects will be more responsive to somebody like that. So that's it. That's how it starts, is that the attitude has to be right. 
Well, Bill, it's certainly important to focus on attitude, especially where many of our associates are the directors of first impression when they come across a new client or they're meeting a new opposing counsel or in front of a judge for the first time. So um, the presence in the courtroom and the, you know, the appropriate presence among all the other colleagues is so very important. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about uh, the areas in which you focus at uh, Bill Muller Communications? Well, I've been in the broadcasting business for a low uh, several decades now, and uh, the business I run, it's simply called Bill Mahler Communications, M-O-L-L-E-R, by the way, the last name. It's not like Gustav Mahler, the composer, sadly. I'd love to have him as a relative. Uh, I, I essentially help people who need to improve how they sell themselves, sell their business, and sell their ideas. Uh, one client is a woman who uh, was recently promoted to a vice presidency, and she just doesn't feel comfortable uh, operating at uh, that executive level. And so I'm working with her on, I think, what's typically called in the business, executive presence, so that she can walk into meetings and have a bearing and a posture that, uh, that conveys the fact that she's confident that she is in charge and not feeling maybe what she feels inside, which is, I don't know, a lot of butterflies, some insecurity, self-consciousness. And now we're working with her to project more of a confident uh, exterior, and she is finding that, that people respond uh, easier to her. You know what I typically do, uh, no matter who the client is, is, is start with the simple things you can do. What does it mean to project a look of confidence? You know, what does that mean? Well, just take a look right now as you're sitting or standing wherever you are, even if you're in a car. Well, this doesn't go out on radio. I'm a radio guy, so I was assuming it, it, it's transmitted. But uh, just st le put your shoulders back. Stick out the chest a little bit. Now, that is a look of confidence. Another simple thing to do is to just wear a smile. It has to be an appropriate smile, not a big, silly grin. But just have a smiling face. If you look at people, and I walked here uh, through the loop of Chicago coming to see you t uh, today, Nick, and it was cold, and I I'm always doing this. I'm looking at people's faces. The default expression for most people is, is not just blank. It's kind of a negative. It's a defensive look. It's don't talk to me. I'm in my own little zone here. But I always walk with kind of, uh, I have my head up. I'm not looking at the sidewalk. I'm looking at people. I'm smiling. I'm, I'm looking pleasant. And people will smile back. I interact with people. Now, maybe it's harder for women to do this because it looks like you're, you're trying to be, uh, it's a come on or something. But generally, in office settings, in professional settings, try that shoulder thing and then the look on your face. Ha have a smile and look at people in the eye. There's so many little technical things that you can do. Uh, that'll make you happier. And, and what happens? I always tell this to my students, try this for a week, and then let's talk about it next week. They come back and they say, well, people said, what's, what is about you? There's something different. I don't know what it is. Or they'll say, did you get a haircut? Or, gosh, what, why are you so happy? They'll sense something different. But isn't there something about somebody who is smiling? You're, you feel warmer to them. You're more apt to strike up a conversation with them. It's the opposite of a defensive look. It's a warm, welcoming, embracing kind of expression, and that can make a huge difference. But you've got to remember to do these kinds of things. If you have the right attitude, you should do these sort of things naturally. The thing is, we have developed a lifetime of bad habits. And the fact is we don't see ourselves or hear ourselves in the way that other people do. And so we're not even aware that maybe our face is just sort of bland or that our voice is monotone and flat or maybe our body language is, you know, closed shoulders, uh, crossed legs and looking down and that's kind of a negative defensive posture. We're not aware of that. 
So you have to start thinking about, how do I sound? The ideal is to record yourself. You've possibly done this already in your life. Most people cringe. They say, I don't sound like that. And everybody who's listening says, of course you do. Well, it's because we hear you differently than you hear yourself. You're listening to bones resonating in your head, whereas everybody else is hearing you through their ears. Yeah, there are bones in the ears, but it's a completely different physics process that's taking place. And so whereas you don't think you talk with kind of a nasally bland sound, everybody will say, yeah, that's it, man. That's how you talk. So anyway, become self-aware. And if you do that, then you can start making corrections. But the key is stay with it. It's very hard to do this because, as I said, you've talked and, uh, and presented this way for decades. This is basically how you define yourself. Well, to change your default way of speaking and looking and expressing yourself, you've got to think about what needs to be corrected. And to do that, you've got to be aware. So as you speak, listen to your voice with somewhat of a critical thought. You can generally hear if you're talking nasally. You can hear if it's a monotone kind of speech. And just start correcting it. The key is to remember to do that. Most of us never think about it. And so I'm always sending out emails to my clients. In the beginning, it's like, oh, thank you. I completely forgot. And then they start getting into the game. They start thinking about it themselves. So that in the minute they wake up in the morning and walk out of their house, it's showtime. They want to have a professional demeanor. They want to speak professionally. And if they start doing it on a regular basis, they start having different encounters, different experiences, greater success. And it's so amazing, Nick, that it's basically the simple idea of how we sound and how we look. It is an unvalued tool that we have because it has everything to do with how people perceive us. Bill, it's so true. I'll give you the uh, real example of our new client services associate, Holly, who was here yesterday, and uh, several of us were having a meeting, and some of the people were surprised that she wasn't in law school already, or they, they thought that she was an attorney, and I, you know, I had to tell them, no, she's not an attorney, she's not in law school yet, actually, she's still in college, and uh, I was told by the other people we were meeting with that she carried herself well, she stood tall, she stood proud, she um, conducted herself in a very professional and very friendly way, and one of the things that the co one of the comments that was made is how friendly uh, she appeared and, and was not off-putting. So very confident yet off-putting, and just a natural skill. And you know, Nick, it's so interesting because even if you have uh, less than perfect credentials, I always tell the students maybe you don't have a killer resume, you don't have a lot of work experience, you've only done a few internships, perhaps. What I tell them is that if you present well, that is, if you come across effectively with confidence and poise and candor, and as Nick was talking about his office assistant, when she presents herself more professionally, people certainly make assumptions about that. In his case, specifically her case, they were thinking she was more than she might have been with her experience. And in the case of, say, students who are trying to get their first job, what happens is that the recruiter will overlook certain shortcomings or even blemishes on their experience and resume and, and perhaps grades because why? They simply like the person. They'll say, I don't know what it is. I can't really put it into words or put my finger on it, but I, I just feel this person would be a good member of the team. And it's simply because of how that person projected themselves and showed a, a sense of confidence and authority and candor and, and all the other positives that are out there because isn't that what you would want on your team. So, in a sense, you want to be and express those qualities that you would want to have in people that you hire. Such great advice, Bill. I know the no like, and trust factors are something that we often talk about. So, 
Bill is definitely the individual to help people with those concerns. We're going to pause shortly for our first sponsor break. We want to let those who are just tuning in know that they're listening to The Lawyer's Toolbox on ALR PRA Law Talk Radio. We want to remind our listeners out there, you can always call in with a question at area code 917-889-9732. Press option 1 to be placed in the caller queue. Again, that's area code 917-889-9732, option 1 for the queue. Also, by email, info, I-N-F-O, at A-L-R-P-R-A.com. Now, we also appreciate the opportunity to rebroadcast these archives of the show on social media, LinkedIn, and Facebook, and we urge you to share our programming with others who you think might find our programs valuable. Our first sponsor today is attorney Nancy K. Ducharme. When you need the right legal services to advance your creativity, you need to call the law office of Nancy K. Ducharme. Attorney Nancy K. Ducharme brings big law firm experience and reputation to her intellectual property law firm, serving national corporate clients in the areas of trademark, copyright, internet law, and advertising law. You can find the law office of Nancy K. Ducharme by visiting nkdlaw.com and also by searching for the law office of Nancy K. Ducharme on Facebook. By clicking the like button on the law firm's business fan page, you'll receive periodic blog updates with recent developments in the rapidly changing field of intellectual property law. Our second sponsor is The Lawyer Market. I discovered The Lawyer Market about three weeks ago, and let me tell you, this is a website, best, it's a best-kept secret for solos and small firms trying to market their practices. You can join The Lawyer Market for free, and the online marketplace will actually send you the name and contact information of consumers who are interested in hiring you. The Lawyer Marketplace offers a win-win solution to listed attorneys and potential clients searching for their legal services. Please visit www.thelawyermarket.com market.com forward slash lawyers for more information. Again, the website is thelawyermarket.com slash lawyers. Now back to the Lawyers uh, Toolbox on ALRPRA Law Talk Radio. We're talking with our guest, Bill Muller of Bill Muller Communications, discussing the principles of good communication. In our first segment, we talked a little bit about general qualities, how we see ourselves, our attitudes towards others, and how we are received. Now we're going to shift gears for our second segment and possibly our third and talk a little bit about networking with a purpose. Back to Bill. Well, thanks, Nick. Boy, it's a shame to have you have to read the commercials because there's no time to take a breather here. Well, the networking idea is this. I go to a lot of networking meetings, and it's kind of striking how people present themselves. Uh, here in the Chicagoland Chamber, it's terrific. They allow everybody in the room to just basically do their elevator speech. And what I see is is that people are completely missing the mark. What they'll do is stand up and almost apologetically talk as though they were just a generic business, something to the effect of, well, I run a small IT consultancy and I work with uh, small and uh, mid-sized businesses with their technical problems. And um, as I said, it's small and mid-sized businesses, and we've been around for uh, two years, and I'm the president, and our office is over on Wabash, and uh, again, that's what I do, thanks, and they sit down. It's, oh my God, would I ever do business with somebody like that? Well, they did all the wrong things. They didn't say anything specific. They were a generic person delivering a generic pitch. And why would I ever want to do business with that person? He did not give me a single reason, unless I happen to live right over that address and it would be convenient. But then that's it. So the idea is, is that you want to, and I think you should take notes on this, you need to talk about your differentiators. What makes you unique? What makes you different? 
That's what sells. Talk about successes you've had to the effect of, well, thanks, uh, my business is this, and last week I helped a guy uh, really operate uh, successfully who his entire IT system crashed, and he was so grateful to me that he actually just said, let's uh, sign a contract for another year, you know, whatever, I'm just making this up. But to talk about successes, talk about what people have said about you. If you have testimonials, they've got to be on your website. If you've had client reports that are outstanding, solicit them from your clients. Now, in the legal world, you are somewhat limited. You can't toot your horn as loudly as maybe you'd like. But within the the uh, confines of probity and what's appropriate, definitely try to get some positive comments from clients and see if you can use their name specifically. Sometimes that's that's obviously not going to be possible, and you have to sort of fudge it by just saying a uh, a large uh, industrial company based in Chicago or something like that. So, again, it's differentiators, successes you've had. What do you want to be known for? If you have a specific goal and want to be seen as somebody that has an outstanding handful of traits in a particular practice area, uh, get that into your elevator speech. And if you start putting these together, then suddenly uh, people start taking notice. And you don't want to just talk about what you what your industry is. So if it's a, uh, an IT consultancy, you might say, well, I help uh, small to mid-sized businesses operate like a Fortune 500 company with their IT services. If you are a, well, like what I do in communications, I, I wouldn't say, uh, I'm Bill Baller and I'm in communications. You know, what does that mean? Nobody understands that anyway. So I would say, again, I'm kind of making this up, I, I help people speak with confidence and authority and uh, pr- present themselves as experts in order to uh, uh, improve their business development or improve their, the number of uh, professional contacts they have. So something that's understandable rather than sort of generic. Again, even in the law context, you wouldn't necessarily say, I, I am a lawyer in, uh, I do IP law or I'm a tax lawyer. You know, put some flesh and blood on there. You know, res- make people respond to you on a human level. So talk about again successes, differentiators, and and show enthusiasm for what you do. I, it's amazing how many people are so nervous, unskilled, self-conscious, and completely flop while they're supposed to be networking. They think networking is going out and collecting business cards. They come back to the office, they put all these cards down on their table, and they think, man, I'm a hell of a networker. Then they start looking at the names, and they think, oh, gosh, who was that person? Got it. Oh, was that the blonde guy? Oh, shoot. And and that means nothing to them. Networking is a science. And, Nick, I can go into kind of how to do network beyond the the, the elevator speech is what I just uh, talked about. So networking. Now, basically, you are networking all the time. You never know when there are going to be clients around. So you should always have that kind of upbeat, professional purpose to your conversation. Oftentimes at networking meetings, I'll find people from the same company all huddled together talking among themselves. Why? It's because they're the only people they know and they're nervous. It it does take a bit of chutzpah to go up and start striking up a conversation with somebody. But the point is, is that at networking events, that is, and everybody knows it is, the whole purpose. You're supposed to go up and start talking. So I sometimes play with their minds. I walk up and say, "Hey, you're all you're all from uh, 
uh, Google, and this, literally this happened here in Chicago. All these Googlers were hanging out. You know, of all the people who should be cool and comfortable and cocky about who they are, it should be the Google company. They should be out there, and people go, oh, cool, you're with Google. Isn't that the first thing people would say? But no, here they are all talking together, looking nervous. So I say, no, wait a minute. This is a networking event. Aren't you supposed to be talking to that guy over there, and aren't you supposed to be in that group over there? Get with it. And they giggled and sort of broke up. But when you go to a meeting, look for people. You can get in line. It's easier to strike up a conversation when everybody's lined up to get an hors d'oeuvre, lined up at the registration table, lined up to get a drink. So use that as an excuse and come up with sort of an opening line. And it can be sort of banal and generic by saying, uh, hey, this is my first time here. Do you find these kind of meetings uh, with this uh, outfit uh, valuable? Boom, you're into a conversation right away. Uh, all kinds of, I mean, it's like pickup lines, opening lines. I'll just walk up to somebody. Maybe you can tell by the quality of my voice that, yeah, a guy talk like that, exuding confidence isn't going to have any uh, second thoughts. But I think you can do this too. Just walk up and say, hi, I'm so-and-so. Do you mind if I uh, chat with you? And if you see two people talking together and they're laughing, that, that's fine. If you see two people talking and they're having a serious conversation, don't butt into that. My rule is three or more, it's fair game to butt in on. One, three, or four. Two is the big number that's no, unless they're laughing and it's a lighthearted moment. Then you can butt in. And here's what you say. You say something like, hey, I'm sorry, I'm new here, but you seem to really uh, uh, know each other and, are, and, and understand uh, what we're all supposed to be doing here. Do you mind if I just uh, tag along with you? Who's going to say no to that? Or... Find out who the host is of the event or the keynote speaker. And if you ha happen to eye one of those people, walk up to them and say, hi, I'm new here, if it's the host of the event, and say, do you mind if you just uh, help me break the ice and just introduce me to a couple people? What she or he is going to do is take you to people he or she knows, and if that's the host, they're going to know some important people. So tag along with them, get to know those people, and then just start flitting around, handing out cards, collecting cards, yes, that's part of the game, but write on the card something uh, tangible about that person. For one, uh, they live in your neighborhood. They went to the school you went to. They like to uh, uh, ski in the Alps. I don't know what it is. And, and remember those kinds of things. And then when you find bits and items in the newscast, you forward it to them by email. Just a friendly thing. All you want to do is keep in front of them. And, and, and you don't want to be selling yourself Oh, here's that guy who who does uh, tax law again. Yeah, hi. No, I'm, I don't need that right now. Bye. No, you want to be a friend and develop a relationship in a non-threatening kind of way. And so send them when you see on ABC News and go to their website and you see a little story about uh, discount airfare to Alpine villages and just say, hey, I know you ski in the Alps. I thought maybe you'd find this interesting. My gosh, suddenly you're an asset, you're a resource, you're a friend. You're not doing it to get work out of them, but what? They're going to feel positively toward you. At some future point, assuming they've forgotten what you do, then you can remind them. Or if you've got like a free seminar, you can invite them. Say, hi, I know we've been exchanging emails about things, but I have a free seminar. I hope you could come. And if not you, I fully understand, but feel free to, to pass this along to anybody who you think might benefit. And they're going to be much more inclined to do that rather than thinking of you as the pushy, pushy tax guy uh, who they want to get off the phone as quickly as possible. So these are just some sort of random but very effective techniques to improve your chances of developing positive relationships when you're networking through either just the contacts you make as you're working the room or through uh, uh, the uh, elevator speech that you typically deliver to people right there on the spot or if it's appropriate for the setting when everybody one after another is doing it. I might say, Nick, that sometimes this has happened a couple of times, I know, maybe more, I just don't remember, 
People who know me and they come after me, they'll often say, geez, I hate going after you. Why? Well, I kind of make it entertaining. I make it fun. I'm passionate about what I do. You should be passionate about what you do as well. And not just about I get to, I just get so turned on by tax law. No, you get passionate by how you have helped people. And so think of some anecdotes of people you've really saved. You pull them back from the brink of some kind of catastrophe that would have befallen them had you not been there to give them your expert advice and then get do get a testimonial from that person, but then weave that into your elevator speech because everybody who hears stories like that imagines the time they were about to fall off that precipice and wish they had had somebody like you there to help pull them back. And so that's a very effective way to, so people can put themselves into the shoes of clients that you've helped and imagine how they might say uh, you might save them as well. Bill, I've got a hypothetical. When you were describing the, some of the networking situations, I've been at a few where I've seen a speaker who, at the, after uh, they've given their presentation, there are several attorneys or members in the audience who want to approach that speaker, but they know that speaker's time is very valuable. We apologize for a temporary technical uh, glitch there. Uh, love technology when it works, but curse it when it doesn't. We're talking again with Bill Muller, talking about networking and some of the ways that uh, those out there meeting in groups can conduct them, conduct themselves in a more professional uh, manner and such. And we will be back to networking uh, in that discussion after our break and our third sponsor. For those of you, by the way, who are just tuning in, you're listening to The Lawyer's Toolbox on ALRPRA's Law Talk Radio. We always encourage our listeners' feedback either by calling or with questions by area code 917-889-9732, option 1. Again, 917-889-9732, and option 1 to be placed in the caller queue. Again, as always, info at ALRPRA.com for questions by email. Our third sponsor today is Jim Thompson. If you want to get clients now, he's a seasoned attorney and marketing coach that you should talk to. Get Clients Now is the program that Jim Thompson runs, and it helps you take the crucial steps towards increasing your firm's revenues. The Get Clients Now program employs various time-honored techniques to help you attract new business and encourage referrals. Jim is going to be and has been a recurring guest on the Lawyer's Toolbox show regarding attorney marketing. To learn more about Jim Thompson and the Midwest Consulting Group, please visit MidwestConsultants.net. And also check out his testimonials on Facebook by searching Get Clients Now. ALRPRA strongly endorses the Get Clients Now program and understands the personal accountability component of this course. You can get in touch with Jim Thompson today by visiting MidwestConsultants.net. Now back to our discussion with Bill Muller, talking a little bit about how to be a professional and effective communicator. And you had a hypothetical you were saying, Nick. Do you remember that? I do. And my hypothetical that I was uh, approaching was, um, for example, you have a, a high-profile speaker who is presenting at a meeting that you are at, and afterwards there are many people waiting in line to talk to that person. You know they have to leave, get to an airport or whatnot. How do you approach that when there are more senior members in the group and you just want your chance to say hi, you think maybe the person might not remember you? What do you suggest as protocol in that situation? Well, Nick, it might be that you'll never get to get in front of them, and you certainly don't want to be pushy and jam your way forward, and you certainly don't want to just hand them the card and say, hey, I do this kind of law. Can you call me? I'd love to work for you, or whatever your purpose would be. What you want to do is listen for connections. If you know who is going to be speaking at a particular event, do some research in advance. 
Look up their LinkedIn account if they've got that. Obviously, do a Google search and get a broad understanding of who they are as a holistic individual, not just what their specialty is. And look for connections, all kinds of connections. Maybe you share hobbies. Uh, maybe you grew up in the same area. Maybe you, you have the same degree. You went to the same school. Something that you can connect to that person through, and then that becomes an entree to them. And so if you get in front of them, yes, you've got to give them the card because that's the only way to remember them. You might even write on the back of the card or the front, depending on how your card layout works, what that connecting point is. Uh, grew up in uh, uh, Oak Brook, Illinois, uh, you know, something just that will trigger the person's memory. And you hand that and you say, uh, how do you do, sir? Hey, I saw you were um, you went to DePaul University. I graduated uh, two years after you, and, they, and then they'll want to talk about that. Uh, if they uh, had a certain uh, music scholarship, if they played football, I mean, you can imagine all the kinds of potential connections. I, I think you would probably find something in the research that you do, and so that that becomes the uh, salve to help strike up a cold relationship from nothing. But again, don't try to force yourself and uh, make your pitch in front of them. They don't want to hear that because what are they going to think? Oh, here's another person just trying to sell themselves. Try to connect at a non-professional level. I guess that kind of sounds wrong, but not because of you being a lawyer and there being some kind of an expert in the legal field, but on the outside reasons that, that, that there's a connection. Then they won't think that you're trying to hustle them. And then they're going to be more likely to, to talk with you, and more importantly, they're more likely to be able to remember you. And the important thing is, and this goes back to just networking in general, anybody you contact who you think might be in a position to either directly give you business or who has a position where they might have clients, associates, friends, anybody who might need your business, figure out who those people are and stay in touch with them. The first thing you should do after a networking event or meeting the keynote speaker at this uh, uh, event is to send them – and this is something that I think is really important. Send them a handwritten note. It doesn't say anything important other than really enjoy the talk and, and then give them something specific that you learned from the talk if you're writing to the keynoter. So it's not just a generic kind of, uh, uh, hi, hey, good to meet you kind of thing, but to show them that you internalize something and that will be flattering to them. You could even use that in your approach afterwards as everybody is buzzing around the queen bee to try to talk to her, that to to uh, to penetrate that wall to say I really enjoyed the point you made about blah 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 because I have found that if this other approach I've tried hasn't worked I'm going to try what you did that sounds brilliant again flattery they'll remember that so either say that in person or put that in the hand written card afterwards you might precede the card with a quick email. But the card should be something that you send in the mail. There is something that has strange impact into getting a handwritten something or other in the mail because why? It's just so rare. Nobody does it anymore. It's like 2% of the mail these days is personal correspondence. The rest is, well, mostly junk mail, but bills and, and stuff that isn't, you know, it's all generated by computer. You want to deep six it immediately. But to see something that has your name handwritten on it is, is amazing. So send it to their office, uh, unless you happen to know their home. Don't ask for the home address. But you'll, on the card, you'll, you'll be able to get the address. And send it to the office. And then what you do is maintain a loose contact relationship with that person. Don't bombard them every week with something. But I don't know. Whatever you feel is comfortable. Once a month, once every other month, whenever, and not on a schedule, uh, whenever you come across something that uh, you feel that person would be interested in. But then you've got to remember to do that. If you have a... Uh, a, a customer, what is that, CRM customer, uh, a system to maintain your relationships, 
CRM, customer, why can't I remember what that stands for? But anyway, if you have something um, like ACT, contact management system, thank you, Nick. Do you have one? Yes. He has one. That's why he knew what it was. But what you want to do is enter them in there and then set up a, a frequency so that you can think about that person. If you happen to not be able to think about their particular needs, interests, professional needs, whatever, uh, then you want to just flag it so that on, on occasion every two weeks it says, you know, think, send this person something. And so you go, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, that's the guy who uh, likes to uh, jump out of perfectly good airplanes with parachutes for some strange reason. And, and you start, you know, whatever it might be, hey, first warm day of the spring, you could send the person an email and say, hey, I bet this is the kind of weather you've been waiting for after a long winter of not jumping out of perfectly airplanes with parachutes. Are you going to be jumping this weekend? You know, something like that. But again, just looking for excuses to stay in touch with all these people. Nick, I'm losing my voice, and I've got to moderate a big event tonight, so I'm just going to be back to you while I catch a breather. Go ahead. One of the things that uh, I am interested in uh, in asking you about, Bill, also is the idea of automated responders. And I know that uh, some people in doing marketing have enjoyed the opportunity to use auto responders with the email program so that, for example, let's say you have a Facebook event or uh, another event you're looking for people to respond. What is your suggestion as far as using the uh, programs that are set up to send auto-generated emails out. And my concern is that if I receive emails like that from someone, I'm never sure whether that email is coming from uh, a live, real person or if it's just automatically generated. What are your thoughts on that? Well, what was under the person who would send such a thing one-to-one -one that doesn't reveal whether or not it's from an individual? Because that's ridiculous. If somebody writes as though they write form letters, that's not going to be effective. What I generally do is the more personal you can make something, the more likely it is going to be opened. Now, as far as emails go, it's all about the subject line. If it says something generic like uh, too good to miss up opportunity, I'm going to pass up that opportunity. Who cares? Because that's just one of those – we've all been conditioned to know and smell a pitch when we hear, read, or see it, hear, read, no, hear, smell, whatever, anytime we see a, a bogus pitch like that, we know what it is, and you immediately delete. So, But if you put something in the subject line that shows that you are an individual writing specifically for that individual, it is more likely to be opened. As far as the automatic generating systems do, what you want to do is to mitigate as much as you can the impersonal tone of such things. Now, if you can send them out in batches to select uh, individuals within separate groups, that's good because you can send them to uh, prospects, and then you can word it in a certain way that uh, would be appropriate for prospects. If it's just one email to your entire universe of contacts, that's going to be tough because you, you need to make it as generic as possible so that you're thinking it's going to be uh, opened and appreciated by generic person. But if you send it to people who have a specific need, who are in a specific area, if you're sending it to educators, you can write something specific for them. If you're sending it to a people in the financial industry, again, you can use language that would be resonating more clearly with them. Whatever you think you can do to make it as personal as possible, that's what you want to do. Now, the ideal, obviously, is to just send them out one at one. What I ever do here for ho the holidays, I send out 35 to 45 handwritten cards and these aren't there are some template elements to them yes what uh, the little kids are doing and, and what we did for vacation of course but i tailor those cards 
for the person to whom I'm writing them. And I, I don't type them. I write them out with a pen. And I always get compliments. Just think what your mantle will be full of here in a couple of months. Generic cards with some uh, sappy thing inside and then somebody scrawling their signature real quick underneath it. You know, the... The, the holiday cards that you get that are written by not your friends, but they're written by the uh, uh, boiler room operators who who work for uh, Hallmark. Uh, but if you get something that has that somebody imagines imagines you sitting down, thinking about them, and then putting pen to paper, that has magical high impact value to you. So let me review real quickly with these automated generating things. Try to batch them to individual groups. If you can't, if you have just too many contacts you're sending them to, and you can't just do one after another, then try to batch them and then tailor your language to fit whatever that particular batch group uh, is. Uh, anything you can do to make it personal, but nothing beats sending a card or sending an email from you specifically made for one other individual. One other comment that I would like to make about the uh, canned, I suppose, uh, emails that are generated to go out to several people. I know that many people in business and in law use programs like the Constant Contact email program, and it is effective when you know the people. Uh, I've seen too many times that I have received emails like this from companies I've never heard of, or maybe it's someone who I met at a networking event and I did not hear from them other than just we exchanged business cards and now I'm getting their uh, their marketing email from their company. And one of my first reaction to off, oftentimes is to unsubscribe from those because I think that someone, either either a computer program was phishing for my email address or maybe my card was passed on to someone who's trying to market me to you know where I don't know who the person is so um and I know that when this happens to me I will remember someone's company if I've exchanged an email or had correspondence with them after first meeting them. So I always suggest to always communicate with people uh, a few times before you put them on any sort of mass list. Any comments on that, Bill? Marketing is death. If you are through your constant contact newsletters, if you are through your blogs, whatever your outreach is, if you are selling yourself and marketing, 90, I think it's 99.327561% of the people receiving it will either literally deep six it, they will unsubscribe as you do, Nick, and the, the likelihood, too, is that they will have a negative feeling about you rather than thinking, oh, boy, how perfect. I want to do business with this individual. So marketing, no, no, no. There are avenues for marketing, but it should not be in that kind of correspondence. What you want to do is the same kind of thing that you're doing when you're networking face-to-face. -face. You want to be seen as an asset. You want to be seen as a resource for the people who are receiving th this outreach. So what you do is the soft sell. And what I mean by that is is that you write about things that you are an expert about that they would want to know about. So, for example, if you are, let me use the example again of the tax attorney. If there are, during the when the quarterly period is about to hit, uh, he might say, um, today this constant contact newsletter is all about the five things you should know, that every small business should know about tax filing. Everybody's going to want to read that because it's what? It's free advice. So what you want to do is give of your intellectual knowledge free to people in a regular uh, system of, uh, of outreach so that your, your, your correspondence through constant contact or your blog should 
always be as regular as possible, every other week, uh, once a month, first Tuesday of the month, something so that there is an expectation it's there. And pay t- attention to the quality of the content you're putting in. You should expunge, erase, shoot in the heart, anything that smells of marketing speak, and only give away valuable, I must read this kind of con- uh, content. So if people get into the habit of ex- seeing this on a regular basis, what are they going to do? They're going to open it more and more. They're, you're going to be acknowledged, recognized, and remembered much more likely than all those people who are churning out marketing material. Because why? You got through the gatekeepers. You got through the wall of resistance to marketing. Uh, because why? You're not marketing. You're helping people do their jobs better. And they're going to, and it's free. That, that's going to put you in a much better position for them contacting you when they do have a specific need for an attorney in your particular practice area. So again, marketing is death. When you're sending out constant contact or newsletters through any means or you're blogging, it has to be about your area of expertise, but how the people who are receiving your outreach consume that expertise. So if it's intellectual property law, that's a little bit of a a difficult take because that doesn't touch as many people as tax law might. But figure out ways that your practice area intersects with the people you're trying to reach. Now, if you're... uh, uh, if, if you do liability, uh, if, you, if you're a lit- litigator, uh, those are the kind of things that everybody uh, should have knowledge about. So you can write about, uh, okay, it's the it's Halloween coming up. What are the uh, ten things uh, every parent should know uh, to keep their kids safe, uh, so that they don't uh, trip and fall in the dark, and or they're not. Uh, blinded by wearing the mask, or they're not uh, wearing something that's uh, uh, inf- that's flammable, whatever it might be, you, you, you again become a resource to parents who will eagerly open that up and, and go through it. Now, that's, that particular uh, point has been done, so it's hard to break new ground in the Halloween kind of thing. But if you've got insights, you should be thinking more and more regularly about, okay, let me break away. And what is it I do that would be a valuable? What is it that I know that would be a value to people? And then jot them down, and and then start churning them out. Now, if you run with a bigger firm, then you've got staff that, that can do this. Uh, I, I've worked with individual attorneys though, who uh, they have they have like their own public relations agency working just for them. They operate in big firms, but they're the whole idea is is that. I, I want to think of myself as sort of a freelancer within this larger corporate entity. And they have a whole different and distinct personality and profile that they show to the outside world separate from what their personality and profile is through their law firm channels. And so that's really cool because what they can do is uh, become their own personal rainmaker. They, they, you know, they have to have agreements, obviously, with the firm as to how business comes in. But if they're a partner, typically – they can uh, generate what they, they can keep what they generate, so th- they do that. So it's great information, thank you, Bill. And I really appreciate the sense of the "what's in it for them" factor. Again, when you're ever sending out any sort of communications to your clients or prospects or people you know, it's not about you; it's about them. So again, find content that is relevant to your audience, things that they care about. It doesn't always have to be 
uh, in their practice area. It could be anecdotal. It could be fun. You don't want them to feel stressed out by your email. So and one of the things that we always talk about here at ALRPRA is the uh, idea of consumer psychology and the psychology of Internet usage and the things out there that people feel bombarded by, websites with too much information or uh, newsletters that are just long and drawn out and just detract from our time. So, again, think about what's in it for them and what would you like to receive. So those are some great guide points. We're going to be back with Bo Miller in a second talking a little bit uh, finally about the killer elevator speech and how to tell people exactly what it is that you do without just reciting uh, information at them. So, again, anyone who just tuned in, you are listening to The Lawyer's Toolbox on ALRPRA's Law Talk Radio. We appreciate the opportunity to broadcast this uh, webcast on social media, and we appreciate the opportunity for all of you out there uh, who are listening uh, to the archive broadcast to share these with other people who you might find uh, would find this information useful. Our final sponsor of the day is an attorney. Well, he's not an attorney. He helps attorneys. He's an expert, and he can put a dollar amount on credit damage. This is very interesting. George Finder is one of the only credit damage experts in the country, and attorneys and plaintiffs who have retained his services have earned huge damage awards in various practice areas, such as personal injury, employment law, family law, and general civil litigation. By your learning how to incorporate credit damage questions into your intake process, you and your staff will learn how to spot credit damage events worthy of retaining George Finder's credit damage analysis services. Right now, any of our listeners who contact George Finder and tell them they heard about him on Law Talk Radio will receive, free of charge, one hour of CLE presentation. So go grab a pen and take down this email address to respond to this offer. It is, and it's plural, Credit Damage Associates at gmx.com. Again, Credit Damage Associates at gmx.com. Available nationwide, Credit Damage Expert George Finder's website is full of resources. Please visit creditdamageexpert.com to learn more about George Finder and his expert services. Again, we want to remind our callers, uh, you may always call in 917-889-9732 or send us your inquiries by email at info at ALRPRA.com. We're always looking for your tips on guests and programming so we can bring you what you want to hear. Now back to Bill Muller. We're going to talk a little bit about our last segment about the killer elevator speech. Bill? Well, some of the points that we made earlier uh, obviously hold true, and that is what you want to do is come out with your differentiators, come out with what makes you uh, special. What what do you do that's different from anybody else? Now, it's tough if you're in a regulated industry, if you're an accountant, for example, to talk about your particular proprietary way of doing accounting because basically every accountant does it the same way. So their differentiator comes in just some of the things and skills that I've been talking about uh, with Nick here for the past nearly hour, and that is how they come across, how uh, you feel about them. Do you trust them? Those are the kinds of differentiators that that sometimes people can only project because they uh, essentially do the same business that the guy down the street or the guy down the hall does. Now, with attorneys, you certainly want to figure out your successes, uh, personal injury attorneys, as you've seen in their uh, marketing and advertising, they uh, talk about all the great uh, awards that they've won for their clients. So you, figure, you have to figure out, well, what, what are the uh, buttons that I need to push to get people to think of me as their attorney? What would my clients want? Is, is it damage awards? 
Is it simply just success in the courtroom? Is it uh, somebody who has a sympathetic ear? Is it somebody who has a broad background experience in a particular area within my, my practice area? So once you have that figured out, that becomes your main selling tool. You also have to consider the audience. Now, if you're just talking to a general group of people and you don't know uh, who's in that crowd, if there are people who are bankers and some who are administrators and, and, and whomever else might be there, well, you can't differentiate your pitch. But if you are in an instance where you're talking to people who do all come from one sector or one industry, then you should have at the top of your head uh, a quick review of your skills and successes that you've had that touch those people directly, that is, successes and skills in that area where they work. So think about this. You have to sit down and actually write out some of these points. What are my differentiators? A, B, C, D. What do I want to be known as? And don't just fill it up with silly puffery. I want to be the most famous, richest, best-known lawyer in Chicago. No. You know, uh, you know, how would you want to be seen? What are your successes that you've had? What are your differentiators? What are your successes? How do you want to be seen? And then what have people been saying about you? Do you have happy clients that would be willing to, to vouch for you? Do you have a website? All of the things that you're saying and, and putting together uh, in a networking event or when you're talking to uh, prospects in a room should be reflected pretty effectively on the website. You could go to my website and see how I uh, dovetail with what I say there as opposed to what I'm telling you here. It is Actually, it just went up recently, Nick. It's uh, BillMahlerLLC.com. So the W's dot BillMahler, M-O-L-L-E-R-L-L-C.com. And then there's a video there that I just had made that just explains what I do in, I think, a minute, just over a minute, or no, two and a half minutes. But it's a pretty encapsulated view on how I do what I do, what my thinking is about what communications is, and some of the basics of how we work with people. And you should think about That's sort of like my elevator speech. It's certainly not a 30-second elevator speech. I can deliver that as well. But you should think in terms of, of, of having a video as well. But if you just don't have the kind of persona that comes across effectively uh, when a camera lens is sticking in your face, then maybe you don't want to do that. And sometimes they can be expensive. But if you do have some good conversational skills, if you, I mean, if you're a litigator and talk to juries, I would assume that you do have some good presentation skills. Maybe that would be something uh, you should consider, putting together a, a little tape of you looking in the lens but talking uh, not like an automaton, hi, I'm Jerry Smith, and I work in this particular practice area. Call me if you ever need to have a baloney. But if you could say, hi, I'm Jerry Smith, and I help people this way. You know, if, if you can speak from your heart and really convey that in a good conversational presentation, that's a very effective way to do that. More and more people are putting on videos, but if you look at some of the pe videos people are using, they stink. They are just the boss spewing forth for a couple of minutes in front of a lens, and he's unpolished. He's certainly not practiced. Maybe he, they even leave stumbles in because he's so bad, and they, after the 40th take, they just think, well, we'll just deal with what we've got, and they, and they still don't have a perfect take. Uh, so consider that. There are some companies, there's one called Cantaloupe TV, Cantaloupe, odd name. They're out of Indianapolis, but they do have a presence in Chicago. Uh, but they operate throughout the Midwest. They do great videos because it's not just the boss talking into the camera. They get something about your company or your practice's culture. They, talk, they make it they humanize you. They humanize what you do in a way that really makes people feel warm and fuzzy about you, and that's what you want to do. I think one mistake that a lot of lawyers make is that they want to go for the uh, – uh, 
what was that movie, The Paper Chase? Remember that with John Houseman? And he was this stiff, stodgy, but he was the, the emblematic image of what most lawyers looked and sounded like and wanted to look and sound like. And they have all their photographs are with in wood-paneled offices with legal uh, books behind them, and they look real smart. And, I mean, that does work for some level of law, but maybe that, that's not a very warm, embracing, or human kind of a thing. It does give you the image that, okay, these are big shots, and they probably have incredibly high billable hour rates. Uh, but if you want to be seen as, as somebody that's approachable, somebody that the average person can connect to, then you want to think about a completely different message. And that is, in all of your messaging, whether it's the image that's on the uh, landing page of your uh, website, whether it's in the video, whether it's how you speak, how you use your face. I mean, all, all of it plays into what you want to have as your basic overall brand. And that takes a lot of work. You've got to do a lot of thought. And in fact, Nick, isn't that some, I'm just thinking right here, isn't that some of what you do with your clients? Certainly. Uh, one of the things that, you know, and it's interesting you talk about branding. Um, I, I'm now writing a column for the Law Bulletin Publishing Company's Attorneys in Transition publication, and uh, my first column was about self-assessment and branding. And most people, attorneys, when you ask them what their brand is, they, uh, you know, sort of want to hide under the table because, it, you know, I'm different language here. What are we talking about? But our brand is really what makes us unique uh, and memorable to other people, and that's what you want to convey to people. And I know that when we talk about the elevator speeches, it actually has happened to me. I was at the Daily Center one time, and there was a lawyer, and we were chatting about the building being really empty, and where is everybody today? And uh, as the elevator came up, he was asking me what I did, what my practice area was. I told him I don't practice law, but this is what I do to work with law firms, PR and marketing, and um, you know, very shortly had to, because I had from 1 to 422, where I had to get off the elevator, that much time to tell the gentleman all about us and to exchange cards. And it was one of the quickest uh, explanations of what we did, and I think that's happened a few times when you're just on the fly and you're meeting people you don't have time, um, you really hone that, but it just takes practice and experience. Uh, before we wind up today, Bill, do you have any other thoughts for our listeners or any final advice? Well, with that point you were just making about the elevator speech, it, don't memorize it, I say, uh, because if it's memorized, it'll sound like it's memorized, and you'll be more robotic in your delivery. Just be comfortable with the general principles of who you are, what your differentiators are, what makes you unique, what your successes are, what other people have said, just those kinds of things, and just talk it out. Talk to your family. Just practice saying it in different ways. It'll be within your DNA. You'll be able to draw on it, and even though it's not been literally memorized, hey, you don't want to have a memorized thing because maybe one elevator ride will be 15 seconds, another will be two minutes, and if you have a 90-second speech, it'll be uh, ill-appropriate for both of those settings. So just have a general understanding of that point of brand, your differentiators, and those other points that we've been talking about, and just get used to saying them. Practice, practice, practice. If you do it enough times, it'll start coming out and it'll sound naturally. But remember, have passion about it. Be excited about how you've helped people. Those are the kinds of things that will make you remembered. Bill, thanks so much for all your valuable advice, and I know that you'd be a valuable asset to several of our clients as well as the other firms out there who have people who could always, I mean, ever, I don't think anyone is perfect at communication. Um, I myself have a communication degree and am always practicing and challenging myself to improve. So uh, anyone out there is just a, a great person to talk to Bill. I highly recommend him. I've known him for some time now, and uh, he speaks the truth. The man has uh, energy and good advice, and we always appreciate uh, appreciate his time. I want to thank you again, Bill, for being here today. Nick, thanks so much. I can't wait to go home and listen to the podcast.
<laughs> All right. We'd also like to thank our guests for tuning into the Lawyers Toolbox show on ALRPRA's Law Talk Radio. Thank you also to today's sponsors. Number one, the Intellectual Property Law Office of Nancy K. Ducharme. Secondly, we want to thank the Lawyers Market uh, and Jim Thompson of Midwest Consulting Group. We finally had credit damage expert George Finder. Again, this is a general information program, and the advice shared on this show does not constitute legal advice. The results may vary based always on your uh, facts and specific location, and communication with our guests and other callers in this show does not give rise to attorney-client or other professional relationships. You always are encouraged to call and consult with an attorney or a professional consultant if you have further questions. Finally, all callers do remain confidential, and all rights to this broadcast are reserved by ALRPRA Incorporated. The Law Talk Radio broadcasts are broad programmed to bring our attorney and non-attorney audiences the tips, tools, and practice area information they can use to be better informed practitioners and consumers of legal services. With guests and listeners located nationwide, we appreciate the opportunity to use this socially networked radio program to bring people together and share collective intelligence. Again, this is Nick Augustine for ALRPRA Incorporated, and we thank you for your time.